I'd like you to turn with me to the last of our two readings. The first was about Elijah, and the second was about Timothy, was also about Paul. Paul in prison in chains, Timothy is receiving a letter. And I want us to look at verses 11 through to verse 13 of the chapter I actually read to you. Let me read them again. Verse 11. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Well, I'm sure that a very lengthy and profitable uh, discussion could be had and preach. Uh, preached concerning this, what is called a faithful saying. This faithful saying, probably referring to a hymn in the New Testament church, uh, which was appreciated by the Apostle Paul, um, and uh, he is prepared to therefore quote it uh, as being just what is needed for Timothy at this moment of time. Maybe it's just what you need at this moment of time as well. A faithful saying. What can we deduce from those simple words to begin with? Well, a faithful saying rather suggests, doesn't it, uh, that you can rely upon it. You can rely upon it. Well, you can rely upon the whole of scriptures for sure. But if one wanted to draw attention to one particular passage of scripture, you might well begin by saying, this is a faithful saying. And uh, the Apostle Paul had alluded to um, himself, uh, I think in the first letter, uh, that uh, he was uh, received as a sinner because of the blood of Jesus, and he says there too, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It's a faithful saying. It is surely to be believed. It stands out amongst all the other things that need to be believed in the word of God. This is truly something you can put your faith in and trust. And dear friends, we need things that we can trust. And actually, in today's society where there is so much false news, uh, where the internet has made all kinds of things available uh, for people to say which are not the truth, uh, and where surely the modern generation is uh, emerging in a society where virtually nothing can be believed, because everybody is out, whether to sell their project or to progress their movement, or to develop things in war-torn areas that you find yourself in a position where what am I going to believe? What is it? 
you know, this politician and that politician, this party and that party, and so on. Well, I, I, I want to vote. Of course I do. I want to play my part as a citizen. I want to do the right thing. But who do I believe? One says this, the other says that, and they're in direct contradiction one to the other. This party says this, and it's going to change things, and you would imagine a kind of utopia is just about to emerge if you listen to them, a kind of heaven on earth. But what can you believe? Well, believe this. Believe these two faithful sayings. A faithful saying. And I want us briefly to mention verses 11 and 12, but I want us more particularly to go into verse 13. Let's just again have ears that are listening and readiness to imbibe and absorb the things I'm saying relating to what we have before us this morning. A faithful saying, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. I imagine that uh, fits in with many uh, uh, an utterance of the Apostle Paul, where uh, he speaks about the mystical union between us and Christ. You see, when our Saviour died upon the cross, uh, in, in the, uh, the plan and purpose of God, it wasn't just him who was dying. It was every true believer in Jesus Christ who was dying with him. And that's what cancels our own guilt, that he was guiltless and we are full of guilt. We died with him, and this has ramifications of all kind, and I won't go into them. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. And he is gone, we're told by him himself, to prepare a place for us. Do we have hope beyond the grave? Yes, we do. It gave me great pleasure the other day to begin what I was saying uh, by saying I rarely have a birthday party as such. <clears throat> but when I came to 60, I said, come on, let's celebrate it. So I did, and it was good with my family. And when we came to 70, I thought, oh, that's significant. Biblically, we must have another birthday party, 70. And then I said, well, I'm approaching 80 now. Only a month or so away now. We must celebrate that as well. Well, there's still strength in this feeble body to commend Christ. And I hope to do that in this brief time this morning. A faithful saying that we can be saved, we can be forgiven, and it's all because of him. Try and find a fault in him if you can. You will not do so. I love his journey to Jerusalem. I love him trekking away. I love the fact that on three occasions he says to the disciples, this is what's going to happen to me. And in a kind of a strange kind of way, I, I love the fact that... Uh, uh, Peter took him aside, the kind of cheek of it, really, and said, this will never happen to you. And our Lord rebuked him. You're speaking as a man. You're speaking as the world. These things are necessary. In his case, they were very necessary. Oh, here are faithful sayings. The cross died with him on that cross, living with him in heaven, in heavenly places, the Bible calls it. Well, I'll say no more about that except the brief explanation of that passage. And the Lord has prepared a place for every true believer. And we should have a confidence, dear friends. 
which uh, enables us to face death. Eighty is a significant age. Um, Moses got there and beyond. And uh, I like to trace parallels with that. But there should be no fear of death. In a way, we can kind of challenge each of us here and say to ourselves, look, you go on and you progress, you seek the, as it were, uh, to achieve things in this life, but you will never, ever escape the ultimate end. It is death. You won't escape it, dear friends. You will die, but where will you go after you die? So again, a faithful saying, if we died with him on that cross, we shall also live with him. And we can say yes, in this life too, in a way, because he's promised never to forsake us. We shall live with him as our companion. We shall live with him as our bridegroom and we his bride. How wonderful. Yes, for the believer it is. But for the unbeliever and the person who entertains doubts and is determined to go their own way, there's no consolation in that, and they shall not escape death. So think again. Think again. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And we think about those who have endured, the martyrs of old. If I have time, I might just read a little portion about one of them. But uh, if we endure, then we shall reign with him. And all those people like Timothy and others, Titus, uh, Barnabas, and you could go on, and Paul himself would suffer uh, most terrible deaths. But God delivers them in the end, for they are now with him in heaven. And we shall reign with him, and that's also full of things amazing, amazing. He who is the King of kings, Lord of all, and believers sharing a part, as it were, in the rule of the subsequent new world, the new heavens, the new earth, and participating in an idyllic society indeed. Well now we get to the last verse. If we are faithless, verse 13, he remains faithful. It's a kind of a play on words as I see it. On our part, we may, as it were, sink under the weight and the oppression and the things that we have to endure on a daily basis. But when we do, and we fail in our faith, he remains faithful, and he cannot deny himself. And it's really that that I want to think about, um, because I gave an example, and the example was of this good man, Elijah. He was a great prophet, a mighty prophet. And uh, he had done remarkable things, and God had blessed him in extraordinary, in an extraordinary age. 
in relation to the prophets of Baal. Yes, they had been slaughtered. Yes, it had been the will of God that they should have been slaughtered. <laughs> you may find that hard to accept, but it was the will of God that they should be. And there was a great opponent of both Elijah and the Jehovah God. This was Israel turning aside from the God who had delivered them out of Egypt, who had delivered them through the Red Sea, who had stayed by them in all their past battles and would do in the future too, if only they would turn back to him. But Jezebel was out to get the man who was chiefly responsible in her eyes for all the slaying of the prophets of Baal and the one who was the chief exponent of Jehovah God, the only God. Well, Elijah escapes from Jezebel and that was the account that I read to you. But uh, there is another count of somebody who also was faithless. You know, at that moment, he really feared for his life, Elijah. But there was somebody else as well. His name was Peter. Before our Lord was crucified... After the Lord's Supper, where the death of our Saviour was celebrated, Peter said that he would never deny the Lord. But Jesus said that before A certain thing before morning, before morning light, though you confess to love me, yet you will deny me three times. And our Lord addressed Simon Peter in these words. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he, that is Peter, said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, that is our saviour. I tell you, Peter, the cockerel, the rooster, shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Well, he denied that he would ever do that. He denied that he'd ever do that. But he did. 
After the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was waiting for the Saviour a party of people with swords and staves, all manner of weaponry to arrest him. Judas came. And Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? One of them struck the servant of the high priest's ear with a sword. It was probably Peter. But having arrested our Saviour, Peter followed. And he went into the judgment hall. Peter sat among the servants, and a servant girl said to him, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Within a space of time that was scarce half a day, just the night hours, he had gone back on his bold confession to the Saviour that he would never deny him. Dear friends, there is a commonality between the two things that I've read to you. When we're talking about Elijah, we see a man who is really out front, and he was able to be really strong, as it were, for the Lord. And even so, to the point where he actually slew the, uh, the prophets of Baal. But we also see that there was the threat of Jezebel, and he went to pieces. He went to pieces. And we see here a man, Peter, in the New Testament, and we see him. And we see him declaring that if everybody should forsake you, and you look at the various Gospels and you can compare them, if everybody should forsake you, I will not forsake you. No, even if they do, I will not forsake you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows three times, you will have denied me. Or crows twice, I think it is. You will have denied me three times. What we're talking about here is, is the collapse of faith. And I want to address folks here and ask you whether you've had or currently going through 
a collapse of faith. You may have had an upbringing which led you into spiritual paths, Christian paths, and you may have been doing relatively well, but then you were in the company of other Christians, and other Christians, as it were, uh, managed to bear you up, and you enjoyed the fellowship and uh, the like. But either because your faith was very weak and it collapsed, or because you never had the real thing in the first place. But what you do need is the real thing. Now, this amazing faithful saying says that if we deny him, he will deny us. I wonder whether you've, as it were, shied away from owning the Christian faith to your friends or neighbours or others, and when you've reflected upon it, you sense a feeling of guilt because in a way, when you could have spoken up for the Lord, you didn't speak up for the Lord at all. You shied away from it. And you felt somewhat ashamed. You felt as though you were a kind of a Peter who had denied him by being so unready to own him when you confessed that as a Christian he owned you in going steadfastly towards the cross which he knew awaited him and he would not be deterred by Peter uh, but he would go through with it and he would go through with it for you if you're a true believer. And if that is the case, what do we make of this? If we deny him, he also will deny us. But here's the hope, and it's a wonderful hope. Our Lord did speak to Peter and say, when you are converted, that is to say, when you are turned around and you see your fault and your bold claim was nothing like as realistic as you imagine, when you began to see yourself as a sinner who is failing and stop boasting about the fellow brethren and all their faults and say, if they deny you, I won't. And you say, I've come to a proper understanding of myself, just like Peter came to a proper understanding of his self. And he came back. And our Lord knew he would come back. And our Lord knew that he would not, in the end, deny him. No, certainly not. And he went back to his former confession. And, indeed, he was mighty in preaching the gospel in the days ahead. And we're so glad that Peter though he collapsed with his faith, and you may have collapsed with your faith, yet he was restored. Isn't that one of the wonderful things? He was restored. I want to speak... A little further then. Paul said we are cast down but not destroyed. We have things which discourage us. But we've got to hold out. We've got to hold out. Let me tell you. I love reading. Uh, there's a reason for it. Some people will say, well, it's because you're kind of rather morbid, I suppose, and kind of like hearing awful things. <laughs> well, I don't like hearing awful things. I don't like it at all, really. Uh, 
But I like reading the martyrs. And I say to myself, and I say, don't, just remember Peter. He thought he could be as strong as any, anything that may be required of him. But I tell you about a man called Thomas Hawkes. He was said to be a very, very nice man. He was said to be, have all the kind of um, eloquent characteristics of a man uh, well brought up. Uh, that he was uh, well pleasing to everybody he met, except for one thing. He would not have his young child baptized under the old system. And the old system was Mary, bloody Mary. He would not have it. He had enjoyed the ministry of the Reformers, he had enjoyed, too, the reign of Edward VI. And he said, I will not do that. All his kind manners, all his genteel ways, all his service of those of importance in country houses, all of that was nothing. He was arrested. And he was condemned to death by fire. A little before his death, certain there were of his familiar acquaintance and friends, I'm reading from Fox, who frequenting uh, his company more familiarly, um, concerning them, they desired that in the midst of the flame he would show some token if he could, if he could bear it, if it could be born, if it... If a person could keep it, and the words are, could keep his mind quiet and patient, which thing he promised to do. And so secretly between them it was agreed that if the rage of the pain were tolerable and might be suffered, then he would lift up his hands above his head toward heaven before he gave up the ghost. Not long after, when the hour was come, he was led away to the place appointed for his slaughter. These were in days of holding you responsible for not even attending church. With full doctrine, they said. It was the days of the Roman Catholic Church and why the Reformation took place. Well, he now coming to the stake, there mildly and patiently addressed himself to the fire having a, a straight chain cast about his middle and with no small multitude of people on every side compassing him about. At length, after his fervent prayers first made and poured out unto God, the fire was set unto him, in the which, when he continued long, and when his speech was taken away by the violence of the flame, his skin also drawn together and his fingers consumed with the fire, so that now all men thought certainly he had been gone. Suddenly, and contrary to expectation, the blessed servant of God, being mindful of his promise before May, reached up his hands burning, reached them up, to God, over his head, to the living God, and with great rejoicing, as seemed, struck or clapped them three times together, 
At the sight whereof there followed such applause and outcry of the people, and especially of them which understood the matter, that the like had not commonly been heard. And so the blessed martyr of Christ straightway, sinking down into the fire, gave up his spirit in or on June the 10th, 1555. And that would have been under Bloody Mary, who had recently come to the throne, reinstalled a very fervent Catholic. Thankfully, Catholics don't do it today. But their doctrine is deficient, and it calls for reformers still to come forth and declare the truth, whatever the cost. Here was a man who remained faithful, who the Lord, it might be said, was gracious to, and even now enjoys heaven in the midst of so many others. You know, there were some 300 martyrs or so, more than that actually, considerably more, who were put to death in similar ways for their faith during that particular period. You see, truth is worth dying for. Truth is worth dying for. But we are told here that if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So we think about these two characters. We think about Elijah, we think about Peter, and we see them, both of them, reaching a point of absolute collapse. And in some ways, who would be surprised, considering who Jezebel was, and her husband Ahab, and considering the difficulties that were in the early church to make people deny the faith. Persecution began under the Jewish element, but it was continued under the secular powers, uh, Caesar and the like. But God remains faithful to those who are faithful. Such a man as I've described was faithful. I want to get that last point. And that is, it says he cannot deny himself. You would say to yourself, well, you know, even God can only go so far. Even God must reach his limit of readiness to forgive. Well, the New Testament goes out of its way to show in the conversion of the Apostle Paul himself, who currently is in prison here, uh, that God wanted to demonstrate that he would take one of the chief of sinners, namely Paul, and save his soul with a true and profound conversion which made him change direction because he had been persecuting the church and save him, root and core, as it were, root and branch, right to the core of his being. Well, now, God is faithful, even when we are faithless. That's encouraging. We say, well, I don't know that I've lived up to my Christian profession as I should have done. I don't know when 
God's patience will run out with me. I seem to have lived for myself. I've not really taken my Christian faith seriously. I could never stand up as that man did there and all the others there. I could never do what they did. You don't know what the days will demand. I don't know what the days will demand. But though we may plunge into unbelief and despair, yet he remains faithful, though you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Isn't that lovely? It's a faithful saying. It's one that is going to be stuck to for all eternity. It's one that proved itself in the case of the Apostle Paul and many another person since then. Now, God's faithfulness. Many marriages today don't survive. Many people don't even want to put it to the test, therefore they don't get married. But marriage is honourable in all, and God would have us marry the one of our choice. And a marriage is a very important thing. It involves an outward confession of faithfulness. That's where it comes in, friends. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Do you realise that God is a very faithful marriage partner? Our Saviour is God. And because he is a faithful marriage partner, and because a covenant is very important, people only get married, it seems, to have a nice time, a celebration or something like that. Ask whether they really think it's a serious undertaking. I wonder whether they would know the meaning of the question. But faith is honourable in all. It's in the scriptures. And... If we do it God's way, we're more likely to be blessed than when we do it our way. Covenants then in the Bible are extremely binding, even to the point that what we used to call engagement, but which scripture called, and this was the real thing, betrothal. A person, if they broke their betrothal promise, was guilty of adultery. But when you think about your spiritual bridegroom, then you say, he's bound to me, isn't he? Oh, yes. In other words, though I might be unfaithful in this marriage relationship with my saviour, he won't actually be unfaithful towards me. Absolutely. Absolutely. He'll stick by you to the end. But I have been, you see. I've been unfaithful to him, you see. And I'm very troubled in my heart because I want to find a way back, you see. Well, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He remains faithful. He's ready to receive you. He would have you back again if you are willing to come back again. How lovely. Isn't it lovely? God is bound by covenant to his own people. He's bound by covenant to them. 
even when you let him down, even when your faith collapses like Elijah's and like Peter, even when you've turned around and turned your back upon him, even when you're ready to collapse, if you're a true believer, underneath are the everlasting arms and you fall, but you fall into them. We must never think that our God is not faithful and gracious to the uttermost because he is and our saviour is and you'll see it in our saviour's life and it's altogether wonderful in his life and he remains faithful to his promises uh, he remains faithful he, he cannot deny himself and this is the important point do you realize what god himself would be guilty of if he turned his back on you because of your unfaithfulness to him, he would be turning his back on his own promises. In other words, when he promised them, he's turned out now to be a liar. And he doesn't keep them. But he cannot do that. For if he did that, then he would deny himself. He would never be the holy, pure, spotless, undefiled God or mighty maker of heaven and earth who demands so much of us. But once a Christian, always a Christian. And though you have failed and are faithless and collapsing, you are collapsing into the arms of the one who is faithful and you fall back into those everlasting arms. Hmm. He will never leave you or forsake you. You know, that was said to Joshua of old. Yes. Joshua of old. He will never leave you or forsake you. And the writer of Hebrews picks it up as well and says he has promised he will never leave you or forsake you. And if he did, he would deny the person and being that he is. He would deny himself. Well, dear friends, I'm going to leave it there. I trust that some, at least, of the things mentioned concerning this faithful saying will come home to you and mean a great deal more to you than it has ever meant to you in the past. And I hope it will involve a certain degree of introspection in which you go apart and you say to yourself, you know, what I once was, I'm not now. Perhaps I've let all kinds of things in the modern age, perhaps even uh, the trials and struggles of the country with COVID and the like, uh, I've allowed them, as it were, to weaken the love I once possessed. But I want to regain it again. Will he receive me? Or perhaps you haven't known his love for the first time. And you'd like to. Though you know you're a sinner and you wonder whether, in fact, your own sins and what you have done and the like, um, whether he can forgive you. Of course he can. Of course he can. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, but he requires of you that you turn around and come and seek him and find that forgiveness that he's ready to give. This is the kind of God we have. How wonderful.